What's up, everyone, and welcome into episode 147 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining you shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Now, before I tell you what we have coming up, let's take a few seconds to enjoy the sweet beats of Drummer 798. I have a feeling that's not his real name. Anyways, after Mike and I get all caught up, we'll be talking some education. We'll be talking about five-note groupings, comping with them between snare drum and bass drum, phrased as triplets, underneath a jazz ride pattern. Ooh, I'm going to need to practice that. After that, we'll be talking about our featured artist, Mr. Jeff Friedel from Perfect Circle. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the DW Contemporary Classic Drum Set. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Counting in with a 40 BPM, dang. <laughs> And now my mic's on too. I'm ready to go. <laughs> my God. Are you recording? Do we have buddy. audio? We I, I'm recording. I see red in the Pro Tools. I see wave files showing up as I speak. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm going to keep checking in on that. I'm going to control, control S every 15 seconds. Yeah, we're good to go, man. Happy, happy podcast day. How are Indeed. you doing, buddy? I'm good. It is episode 147. That's a uh, lot. So our intro beat, I don't know if he just forgot to tell us who he is, but he was mysterious. We have no name. That um, Yeah. Uh, he's Drummer. His name is just Drummer. Drummer 798. He's so good. He's like, if you find out who I am, you'll you'll be contacting me for gigs, and I'm not ready for that. It was a pretty cool pattern, though. What is he doing? He's like a right, right, left, left, and then a left foot hi-hat to do some fives. Mm. Pretty cool. Awesome. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, maybe. Any, I mean, there's no gear list. I mean, come on, drummer seven nine eight. Give us more than that. You said he recorded it with his iPhone. So was it you? Blitz. No. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, I can't get yeah. my iPhone to sound that good. I think uh, maybe he's just like really crushing it in the baking scene. He's baking in, let's say, uh, <laughs> Paraguay right now, and he's like, I don't want everyone to find out who I am, and then they'll take me away from the baking thing. Or he's an undercover Paraguay. cop. <laughs> Is that a place? All right, so needless to say, the intro groove was dope. We have stuff to talk about. Okay, what? I just got offered a camp in Greece. Whoa, really? Like a four-day camp in Greece, yeah. And I was, uh, uh, Amber didn't know much about Greece. So she's, uh, she, she called me. She's like, hey, I know you said you don't want to do camps outside of our place, but um, somebody called and wants you to do a camp in Greece. And before she even got the – she got to Gree, and I was like, yes, <laughs> I want to do it. And then uh, she's like, really? Because my thing is I don't want to do my camps outside of my place. But if it's me and four other teachers or if it's a, yeah. if it's a different camp, I'm happy to do it. But uh, she sounded a little odd about it. And I'm like, Have, do you not know what Greece looks like? And, and she's like, not really. And I'm like, type in Greece to Google and just see what shows up. <laughs> it's like – it's like it, well, there's a reason that the, the gods are from Greece. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, yeah, there, there's a reason. It's, it's <laughs> Zeus. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the gods look down on the earth and they're like, uh, "Hey, Zeus, where do you want to live, bro?" He's like, "There, there. Let's call it Greece." Uh, so I was like, "Yeah, count me in." So that'll be a 2019 thing. So I'm still prepping for the Asia trip right now. Starting that's in July. So I'm doing all the solo rehearsal stuff, probably similar to you getting ready for PASIC. Um, so how long is your Asia trip? So I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, let's see. I've got okay. I'm in. Whew, that's a big word. Shaimen X I A M E N China on July 17th. Hangzhou China on the July 18th. Hefei, China, July 19th, so three dates in China. Then I'm in Taipei, Taiwan on July 23rd. So it looks like I have like three or four days off. Bangkok, Thailand on Thailand on July 25th, and Jakarta, Indonesia on July 27th. That's a so lot of So it's traveling. a 10-day trip. Yeah, yeah. So it's a 10-day trip, um, and so I do that in between two camps here. Then in August, then I go to Ireland, do the camp there with uh, Mark, Ash, and Keith, Come back, prep for the UK drum show uh, in Manchester, and then head over to England. So wow. it's going to be some busy over. stuff. Yeah, right. I know it's going <laughs> to even started, and it's already over. <laughs> I know uh, it's crazy. And then yeah, we're actually we're taking out two camps from my stuff next year so that I can fit in things like this Greece camp, 
I'll do the Ireland camp again, and then I'm going to try to be able to squeeze in the whatever the Montreal Drum Festival is called now, the Ralph Angelillo mm-hmm. Drum Festival. Yep. Because um, I got offered it this year, but it was it was on one of our camp dates, so I couldn't do it. So. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. Fe- I think I'm gonna. You know, use the. Asia, I, God, I, I hope none of our Asian fans hear this and think bad of me, but I'm going to use those as dates to really, really try to improve my soloing. I feel a little hmm. – drum festivals are a scary place to solo because the drummers that are on them, you know. Uh, clinics overseas, you kind of feel like, eh, yeah. eh, it's all good. Yeah, I mean, just, if it goes yeah, bad, whatever. it goes bad. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's going to be fine, you know. Uh, so I, I feel like I have a little more freedom there. So I'm just trying now – uh, you and I have talked about my PASIC solo in the past. I'm trying to find a balance. I know that me just going up and throwing down for 10 minutes with no preconceived notion of what I'm going to do, I know that's bad. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have that level of improv skill. Have you ever tried and it, honestly, though? I have. I don't, I, I don't like it when other people do it. Like, okay. I can tell there's very few people in the world that can improv and create a story in the moment that's interesting. JP mm-hmm. can do it. I think Benny can do it. And I honestly don't even know how much of it is improv from Benny or JP. Um, but I know JP far better than I know Benny. And I, I just know that like, he really does kind of come up with like a theme in the moment and then just, he can commit to it where my brain goes a little ADD and I just jump ship way too quick before I develop what I'm working on. Yeah. Right. Um, huh. So the, you know, so, so I know, but I also don't want to do the basic thing where 90% of it is kind of really thought out. I want it to be somewhere in the balance where, I know where I'm going to start. I know where I'm going to end, and I have some key points in the middle. But other than that, it's up for grabs. Because um, I would like to get to the point where, instead of I played my solo correctly, that's not what I want. Mm. I want to be like, man, I really pushed myself tonight because I had enough freedom to push myself in certain sections. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so, I don't think I would have fun playing a solo, like playing the solo. That I don't right. think that would work for me. But, no, I mean, well, and I, I've never done like through composed where the notes, but I really know the chapters. I know the, mm-hmm. I know the, I know when I'm in something, I know what's coming up next. And I want to be a little more free than that. You know, I'd like yeah. the moment to tell me like, Ooh, what if you stayed on that thing you just did? And then that just takes me down a whole different journey on that night. So that tonight's solo can be more enjoyable for me than last night's solo, you know, and there's some yeah. risk involved. I like that. Yeah, that makes sense to have like options. Like if you want to stick on one idea for the whole time, then fine. If you want to transition, right. if you're not feeling inspired, yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. I think for me, what has happened is my all the years I've spent studying music theory and composition and arranging are finally starting to just seep out to where mm. I can just kind of hear and feel form um, yeah. a little bit better than in the past. So I don't. I don't stick on one thing for too long, and I know you have to contrast. Like these these things that I just never consciously practiced on drums, all of a sudden, kind of shape. Even if I just play a minute video for Instagram, it has a form attached to it, even though I'm just playing the drums. Yeah. So that I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, feeling yeah. good about. I can just trust that. Like right. just my my knowledge of how to shape music will hopefully guide me in a musical yeah. direction. But now, I mean, what do you think? Where do you? Th- I mean, you've attended a ton of drum festivals and covered everything. For modern drummer, what do you think is an acceptable length of time? If the drummer knows their stuff, I mean, where do you, are you? Kind of an eight-minute solo person? Twelve? I think. I think shorter is definitely better. Um, like I've gone to many drum clinics where the solo is all that there is, and it's like 35, 40 minutes, right. and yeah, yeah, that is too much for me. I think even anything pushing the ten-minute world unless you're really kind of shifting it up and and surprising me then that's too much i'd like a just like a length of a song five seven minutes tops yeah but even within that i need i need some changes i need something that's not just you playing a groove and fills and groove and fills and groove and fills right which i see that a lot yeah and you can even for those of you out there that want to start practicing your soloing you can even form your solo exactly like a song. Like you can have an intro, an A section, a B section, an A section, a B section, a bridge, a B section, and an outro that's similar to your intro. And it'll it'll have quite like a really easy to follow form to it. Uh, I think that's way different than like what you said, like beats and fills, beats and fills, you know? It's yeah, like, I, I mean, I, 
someone like Keith Carlock for me is a good example of someone who can just sit on one idea, but it just grows and morphs in very interesting ways. I don't, he doesn't feel right. like he has to play everything he can do. He just does one kind of feel, one kind of groove, sits on it for five minutes or so, then just shifts to a different feel, different groove, and sits yeah. on it. Different so I like, tempo. I like even. that. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's that, that for me, that's that ability to like – understand and be self-aware like okay i've played this dynamic for a while let me do something to kind of bring us to a a different mood because the drum solos a lot of times just become like play loud play fast play louder play faster play loud yeah i can maybe drop it down but maybe that stuff to me actually needs to be even shorter and shorter and shorter because i can only handle that for like a minute i need something deeper than that i think keith has an amazing ability to be self-aware in concert with the audience. Like he changes at the exact time I'm kind of over the idea as yeah. a listener. Yeah, true. it's like he just knows. Yeah, I've exhausted this thing, but I'm at the peak of exhausting it. So now I'm changing, and it's like I wasn't sick of it yet, but I didn't need another two more minutes. Yeah. And he just—that's kind of the dream soloist to me. I think Benny does a great job of that too. Uh, Yost Nickel as well. When. When they're self-aware and that lines up with how the crowd's feeling, and uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, it's and I bet if you amazing. looked back and analyzed it, it's probably in eight-bar f- structures, and they probably do yeah. sixteen or thirty-two bars and then change. Like, yeah, you know, when I went to that uh, workshop with a video video game composer, yeah, he said something really simple and made perfect sense. But he said every four measures something changes. Like that's when when you're composing music for a video game. That's the rule. Every four bars, something has to change, whether you introduce wow. a new element or the bass line adds a note or the, another drum part comes in. And that right. makes perfect sense for sound design. And I kind of relate that to drum zone. It's kind of a sound design. So if yeah. you don't change it up every four or eight bars, I think that's when immediately I start to glaze over. Like, all right, I've heard it. I've heard this thing. Do something else. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like I said, you kind of you, – you have to explore it exhaust it but right at the peak of exhausting it is when you get out and then move to something new and and start start the journey again and it, it's fun you know and uh and i mean the other thing is there's a lot of relatable things like when somebody like say keith when he drops into a gadson groove it's like okay he's going to start with the most basic stripped down version of it possible but he's going to keep adding notes, and it's 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 fun for me to sit there as a listener and go, oh wow, I don't think I've ever heard Keith play this groove. I wonder what he does with this, and mm-hmm. then he goes from that into like this busy fusion thing, and I'm like, oh, let me hear him do his thing on this because I kind of feel that the groove environments, unless you're really pushing outside of you know the box, most of the groove environments are things we're already familiar with. You're going to improvise inside of some sort of groove environment, whether right. it be. Uh, even if it's Steve Gadd, when he plays in Mozambique and he starts to mess around with it, it's like, well, I know the structure you're in. I know the groove environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited to see you explore this environment. And same thing, you know, if somebody, if Ash starts playing a halftime shuffle, I'm like, oh, I know he <laughs> loves this. I can't wait to see what he does with this because he really enjoys this. And uh, so, yeah, it's 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 cool stuff. So I hope that both of us can keep developing our soloing. And uh, hopefully when is uh, PASIC again for you? Uh, I don't know the dates. It's like the end, middle or end of November. Okay, but it's, so it's late this year. Um, yeah, I mean it's kind of consistent where it's been right around the middle of and, the month. Uh, I didn't even ask, but are you going to play a solo there? Uh, I'm going to play with over top. I'm going to improvise with electronics. That's kind of okay. The, the cool. whole premise yeah. is going to be how I use electronics and loops and things to kind of inspire my practicing. Okay. So I'm essentially going to practice on stage, which is what I've been doing for most of my clinics is kind of showing right. how I mess myself up. And then I use that to kind of fuel practice sessions. And That's awesome. Yeah. Well, then maybe uh, probably I think uh, the UK Drum Show and PASIC are pretty close to each other. So maybe we can yeah. play some clips of our, of our performances on the show. Cool. All right. Let's get into some education. Let's talk about uh, Joe Bergamini's article. Joe Bergamini. Um, Mark Juliana's private drum instructor back in the day. That's right. He's well known around here in New Jersey, and he's been working with Hudson Music and yeah. plays on Broadway, subbing on Broadway and stuff. I think actually he got a show full time, which is cool. So he wrote a piece um, for the Jazz Drummers Workshop. He hasn't done a lot of jazz writing for us, but this one is called Five Note Bop Groupings: uh, Developing Independence with Odd Phrases." Um, so here's the premise. 
you take a quintuplet, two snares, bass drum, snare, bass drum. That's your that's just how you're phrasing the quintuplet. So we have da deku deku da deku deku da deku deku da deku deku. Right. So you turn those fives into triplets, so then it becomes a five note grouping under a triplet subdivision. Mm-hmm. And you play that under swing time. With the but what he does first, which I think is really cool. So this should probably back up. When I hear someone like Ari Honig or these real kind of contemporary uh, Dan Weiss, I usually can't comprehend what the heck they're doing with their comping because they're not playing like stock two and four bar right. kind of phrases. They're doing these. You can tell that some kind of a deliberate phrase is not just random, but I don't know where it is. And a lot okay. of times I think they're doing this. They're superimposing fives and sevens over top of the triplet. Um, How's your phone doing, bro? Man, blowing me <laughs> up is what's happening. <laughs> so what's up with robocalls lately? I've been getting them like every two hours. Oh, really? Wow. I, 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 I've I only gotten a few of them, but they I don't know if – I mean I haven't researched it, but they do mimic my area code. Yes. So I'm like, oh, someone's <laughs> calling me from Rockland, California. <laughs> I have students there. Nope. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that sucks. I no keep fun. getting random calls from Frederick, Maryland. I'm like, no one in Frederick is calling me ever because they wouldn't. They know I don't answer the phone. Why you think Joe Bergamini hours? is listening right now going like, <laughs> typical drummer ADD. He's like, they were they were finally talking about me, and now they're off on robocalls. How does this happen? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Do not call. Anyway, um, so my block list on my cell phone is like 3,000 numbers. <laughs> Love it. So anyway, so I think that's kind of the key to getting that real kind of modern jazz sound. The you know Dan Weiss, Ari Honig, right, Mark Julian. Well, and I think that you made a good point. We were talking earlier before the podcast started, but in example number six, it's played exactly as the five note grouping. He has two snares, one kick, one snare, one kick. But in number two, the first thing he has you do with it is play just the snare part and leave out the kick, and that's where. I would have trouble hearing where it starts over if someone was to do this. So they're playing fives in eighth note triplets, Mm -hmm. and really they're only playing the first two notes and the fourth note. So one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five as triplets. Yep. It would really be tough for me to hear, like, where are you at in this, especially with this swing pattern going on. Yeah, so let's drop in the audio. Joe did a video, so let's drop in that example. So this is example two from the article where he's just playing the first and second and fourth note of every five on the snare drum. And you'll hear it it doesn't sound like fives. It sounds like something else. So let's check it out. Yeah, I mean, that's like, it's funny. As soon as you hear it, you go, oh, I've heard that. That's the stuff that I hate about jazz because I can't figure it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's why, yeah, by the way, when I say I hate it, it's because I hate myself that I can't figure it out. But that's that stuff where you're like, I can tell it's repeating. I just can't catch it. Yeah. You know? And then just like his example, how short it was, that's how somebody usually plays this. They play it and then they're they're gone. You yeah, know, they don't just loop on. it yeah. for the next a section. Yeah, I think um, if, if he would have came out and played number six right away, you would have been like, oh, there's drum stuff. Oh, yeah, he's playing fives. It's, it sounds more right. like I'm doing something impressive where when you just play the snare part, it, it sounds like comping, but in like a foreign language. <laughs> which I so let's, let's take – if we were just trying to achieve number two, I think most drummers that are at least bridging into that gap of advanced drumming and they've done some jazz comping in their past and they've done – Art of Bop Drumming, at least the John Riley's first book of that. I think a lot of them could probably figure out number six if you gave them enough time. Yeah, right. But to get to number two would be pretty hard for a lot of people unless they just cite read it as, oh, I play two notes there, one there, two there. Yeah. But if but you want to hear that grouping of five, I think one thing that would be really helpful would be to start with number six and then move your foot off the bass drum pedal. Keep playing and just play it on the floor. That's a good idea. Because then you're going to feel it in your body, but you'll start to hear only the snare part. I do that all the time with different uh, hand patterns that I'm working on. I'll just put my left hand on my lap and leave my right hand on my right. I'm like, okay, that's the melody that I should be hearing. 
and then I'll do vice versa. Right hand is on my lap, left hand is on the snare. Oh, that's the ghost pattern that's filling it in. Then I put the two together. Uh, but sometimes I can't play one part by itself. So I think that would be really helpful for a lot of people. Play it as written in number six. Once you feel comfortable with it, just move your foot to the ground instead of your pedal, and then you'll hear it, but you'll still feel the five. So let's listen to number six, which is you know, all the triplets, but you're playing the five. So let's check that out. sounds like exercise to me (laughs) yeah 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 exactly um but if you did it see that's the thing that it's hard to get drummers to make this leap when you play that exercise you have to be willing to play this long four bar phrase just so you can have two to three beats of it yeah and so many times i hear drummers use these things that i maybe i'm teaching it in my online courses or whatever and they just they they do it for the entire bar. I'm like, oh, that's just a like. If I was going to use a use a bludge I don't go bludge da bludge da bludge da bludge through the whole thing. <laughs> It'd be like bludge and that's my launch ramp, and then I'm gone. You know, I, I don't use more than one of those. Yeah. Just blah, da, 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 and then I'm on to my own. So I could totally see using this as da 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 da. da, da. Hell, I can't even sing that. Maybe two of them, and then I'm on ding, 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 ding. Good God, Joe! I'm gonna work. I'm totally gonna work on this because the thing, like, here's one thing that I don't think enough drummers understand. Just because he wrote it in jazz doesn't mean you have to use it in jazz. To me, it's like, oh, next time I play a halftime shuffle, this is in play. Next time I play anything that swings, this is in play. So jazz vocabulary is awesome for any drummer. Um, yeah, you yeah, can play yeah. a Gadsden groove and get into this, and just to fight the play this as sixteenth note triplets, and it'd be yeah. amazing. Twelve eight. I mean, any kind of any kind of triplet feel. Um, yeah, yeah. So do you I do. Think, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say. I think. I mean, the rest of the article gets way more kind of drum exercise heavy, where you know now the left foot is involved, or the bass drum and the left foot are alternating. I think all that is awesome, but I still think number two is what you would actually use. <laughs> I agree. Just yeah. playing no, I totally agree. parts of the five. Yeah, and I can see or also number four, number two, and four and five, where it's not it's not every note of the triplet isn't played. He's, he's leaving mm-hmm. some space, so it, it gives you that sense of like it's familiar but really foreign. What the hell's going on? Well, really, I mean, if you think about it, if you had all of these down and then just mixed them, so the five is always present in your mind, but. Maybe the first grouping of five has no bass drum. The second one does have bass drum. The third one is back to no bass drum but has some orchestration. And you're moving around the kit with the left hand. And then if that bass drum could come in and out of number two at will, oh. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's not Man. Even, Yeah, that would be like next level. That would be part two of this, I think. Yeah, that will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my day and practice part one of this. But, <laughs> but I think that you – I mean this could really lead you – to something that was so set in stone when you look at number one. This exists as da da gu da gu da da gu da gu. Yeah. And if you studied this long enough, people would be like, oh, you're so free on the kit. I love your flow. Yeah. Like, really? You love my flow? Here's five notes. This is where it's why am I getting mad? <laughs> you're getting mad at someone for complimenting you. Typical. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're so talented. You're so natural. Really? I haven't slept in a year. Uh, talented worked on these five notes from joe bergamini um but yeah i think this is a fantastic article and like i said don't for those of you that aren't jazzers don't skip this because it's written you know with a swing ride pattern over the top these playing the stuff i honestly i would say fives is my most used triplet thing that i do in in my rock fusion oh yeah absolutely it's always right left right left 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 but um cat you get four fives and a, and a grouping of four that gives you 24 notes of 16th note triplets and you're out mm-hmm. you move that around bring in the bass drum split it between the hands and feet and no one knows what it is when it happens but it has a cool feel to it so um so yeah i, I i'm really excited to actually work on this and my fives always start with my right hand. This gives me two lefts, kick, left, kick. That's just uh, yeah. my body 
will rebel against this, which will then <laughs> allow for more freedom in the future, which I'm excited about. So, uh, yeah. So everyone, please check out Joe Bergamini's uh, article. It's in the Jazz Drummers Workshop in this month's issue of Modern Drummer with Chris Myers on the cover. And it's called Five Note Bop Groupings Developing Independence with Odd Phrases. And I think it, I think this is really cool. I'm super excited to work on this myself. So let's talk about um, how did we determine to say his name? Jeff Friedel. Jeff Friedel. <laughs> Jeff Our guy. Friedel. Currently, uh, the big thing is a perfect circle put out a new record, and he's been their drummer longer than I had thought. Since 2011, he's been perfect circle. Wow. Drummer. I mean, they've been off and on an sure, active project, but yes, yeah, so seven years with, with one of my favorite bands, modern rock bands. Uh, I really love their first two records with Josh Freese. I think Jeff is certainly doing his own thing while still kind of honoring what, you know, where Josh kind of set the template. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard the new record? I have actually, yeah. Some, uh, some, but you know what's weird, and maybe you know about this, but somebody sent it to me saying that Matt Chamberlain was on one of the tracks or some of the tracks, and but I, um, I had no notes on that. That's how I got it in the first place. So I don't know if that's actually the case or if that's if there's any. I think there. Uh, I don't know for sure, I'm, I, but I think there is one track where there's like multiple layers of drums, and Matt's on that. I got it. Pretty sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure Jeff is on most of the record. But, it, I mean, it's unlike the first two records, which I f- felt like just a great rock band playing songs. This one is very, very produced, kind of theatrical. It um, is, yeah. Um, and, you know, honestly, I could see, you know, a fan's take on this when, when fans get super obsessed and want their favorite band to put out the same album over and over again. But I yeah. like this because... I already have what you know the quintessential perfect circle stuff. I have it. Like, yeah. I if you're gonna put out a new album, give me something new. And it's, I kind of get excited when my first listen through. I'm like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. It's like, okay, give it five or six more times all the way through, and allow this band to grow in your mind because the band grew without me being around for it. It's just that my mind is stuck in 2005. (laughs) says that's a perfect circle. So, yeah, I did listen to it quite a few times, and I actually thought it was pretty amazing. Yeah, But it cool. is very different. Very different. I mean, he's going for different different drum sounds, which, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first two records, it was like, here's the drum sound, and they played pretty much the, the same sound all the way through. And so there's, you know, some big kind of gushy-sounding things, kind of, you know, more rocking things, some electronic elements. I think it's cool. Um, yeah. First thing I noticed about Jeff's plan is it's way more deliberate than josh i feel like he's mm. you know not purposeful because i think josh plays very purposeful too but i feel like he's he's kind of like streamlined the parts in a way that again was like whoa that's definitely not josh it's someone else and it took me a minute right. to be like ah it's pretty badass like he's just kind of committing to just you know cutting all the fat out of the parts yeah agreed and i don't feel and you know this is something that it makes sense that he's been in the band for a while but I don't feel like he's in a competition with Josh. You know, sometimes yeah. when a band gets a new drummer, especially after having a famous drummer, then it's like, well, I have to show you why I'm the new drummer, and <laughs> yeah. that's a bad that's a bad call. You know, it's like, how about you just make the band sound as good as it can sound for this moment, and that's what he does. Now, looking at his kit, it looks like he's rocking some concert toms. Yeah, for now, I think he changes it up often. Um, that's pretty rad. Yeah, what does he got? I wonder if that's on? with Perfect Circle or if that's with uh, his band. This shoot, I would think it was all from Perfect Circle show or maybe a, a Pussifer show. I don't remember, but yeah, he's kind of a nice. you know he's into changing up his kit. From what I remember, everything is a little bit you know he kind of which makes sense with the way he plays the drums. It's like a, a custom kit for every project and custom parts for every project. I'm not just going to do my you know my thing on everything I do. So what impresses me about him, I think he's about my age, but his resume is insane. Uh, so he's got Perfect Circle, Pussifer, Devo, Eagles of Death Metal, Filter, Tears for Fears, and then he has his own band, The Beta Machine. I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty astounding. I would take any one of those and be cool with <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> for sure, man. For sure. I think, I think Devo would just be a cool band to be in. <laughs> I know, right? That's just legendary. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird how we have these categories or subcategories of drummers. Some some people are road dogs. Some people are, 
you know, drum set clinicians. You've got the jazzer, like the Manhattan jazz guys that very few people will ever know exist. But when you see them in a club, you're like, how are you not the most famous drummer on the planet mm-hmm. with all that skill? And they're just like, dude, I'm, I'm happy doing this. Love it. And then you have rock band guy that go that just crushes it in every rock band he's in. But it's it's that professional level of it. It's not your bro can do the gig for you. This is like the professional rock band guy where it's yeah. like, you know, I mean, obviously Josh has proven to be that, but I think that uh, Jeff is clearly when you look at that resume is doing it as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know awesome. what the I don't know what the secret sauce is. Um, I can only imagine that he's incredibly professional and also very cool. <laughs> and I think, I, yeah, I mean, obviously both of those are important, but I also think that you have to love it. You know, yeah. um, I knew right away that no matter what my skill level was. I was not going to I was not going to survive in that touring scene. Um, you know, if I would have stayed crushing it on percussion and filter a little longer, maybe Jeff and I could have played together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was time for me to take my congas and head home. Uh so yeah, so I, I think that th- there's people that are just meant for this and they love it and and he's he's doing that. Um I, I would love to see him play drums, you know, by himself more because that's one of those things that I always wonder. You're so good in your band. What's it like when you just sit down and play? But I also think, like, I don't know. I wonder how much time our rock heroes get to play drum set by themselves. Or are they always working on new songs, getting ready for a tour, rehearsing for yeah. this tour, this show? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's. it's funny. When you talk to, like, real working drummers – it's funny how little they get to play drum set without music being pumped through their headphones because they're yeah. always working on a project. They never get to work on the instrument by itself. You know? Yeah, and I think Jeff is probably again. I'm I don't know him, so I can't really speak for him. But it reminds me of like Joey Warnker. Like, yeah, I'm going to play drums for, with a purpose. I'm never going to just go nerd out on drums. It's, it's for right. a, a type of sound or a type of project I've got to get prepared for. Which I can I, mm-hmm. I admire that, and I know there's some people who just they don't like to play drums by themselves, which I can respect that too. Like they want to play yeah. with human beings. I know that's, uh, you know, I mean, that's part of the art as well. Um, I guess that, that that's kind of why I always mess around with loops and electronics is because I, I don't want to just play drums, but I don't you know, have anyone to come over and jam with me every day. Right. You know? Going back to the basic thing I was thinking, I was like, I wonder what it would be like for, for you to walk out on stage, no loops, no nothing, and play a ten-minute drum solo, uh, it, it wouldn't freak me out at this okay. point. I mean, because I don't. I think I'm old enough where I don't feel like I have to it's, to prove anything. And also, the senior sure. also is going to be there. I mean, I saw some announcements. Danziger is going to be there. Zuckerman's going to be there. Okay. I mean, once Todd's there, <laughs> it's it's done. You know, I, there's no expectations yeah. for me to do anything that could rival what those guys are going to do. Right. So yeah, I think it would be okay. I mean, I play enough gigs where there's no electronics that that doesn't. I don't need that as a safety net. But for me, it's right. just it's just fun. It's just inspiring. Rather than opening up yeah. a book and working on an exercise that I'll never actually use, if I create a loop, it ends up forcing me to practice stuff I've never done before. So it's kind of like the similar thing. Like that loop's done this thing, and it's forcing me to do this sticking that feels weird. So I've got to practice it. Yeah, and I think you get to bounce things off yourself, you know. So, but yeah, I think that uh, Jeff Friedel is somebody that will probably looking at that resume. I have a feeling now, especially with the perfect circle thing happening, um, and obviously, like you said, he's been doing it since 2011. But they've been on hiatus a lot in the public eye. So now that they're back with their new album, and he's being recognized as their drummer. Now I think it'll be one of those things where his name is in the mix with all the guys that we always talk about that like, oh, yeah, he's out with them now and he's doing this and his, yeah. his name will be in that mix, which I think is great. So definitely everyone check out uh, the featured article um, on Jeff Friedel in this month's Modern Drummer. And uh, the interview was by Ilya. I'm not even going to try that last Stemkowski. name. Stemkovsky. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so check it out. And killer photos by Melinda Oswendell. Oh, yes. my God. Can I you do just think, hire uh, John Smith? <laughs> I would say check out A Perfect Circle. Check out the Pussfair Records. But also check out his band, Beta Machine. Yeah. That's probably more indicative of like what he would do if he was left to his own creative devices. Right. It's still kind of like dark, moody, atmospheric rock. But... I think it has a little bit more of a 
electronic pop element or something. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I think yeah. it's pretty cool. No, Female singer, it's slightly different, but, yeah, but all kind moody. of in the I same like same world that modern rock. Um, how would you what genre? How do you describe that genre? Modern rock for me is hard to describe. I don't. It's, I just it's still. I mean, I think the best word, even though it dates it now, but would have been alternative. Where alternative, like, yeah. You know, it's just it's just one of the many subgenres of of rock and art coming together. So. All right, let's get into some candy. Uh, I'm kind of in the dark on these drums. So we're going to be reviewing the Contemporary Classic Drum Set by DW. Uh, so is this a new line? What What is this? Okay, so this is the Contemporary Classic Series, which um, – you remember the Classic Series they put out a couple years ago, which was kind of a, a throwback to three-ply, I think, a three-ply shell? This is a seven-ply shell. Uh, but it has mahogany on the inside and outside, and then five plies of poplar on the inside, in the middle. Oh, okay. So it's mahogany okay. wow. poplar, which is you know kind of similar to the the old Slingerlands and Ludwigs and WFLs, but it's got extra plies in the middle. So it's kind of like a modern shell construction with the woods that they used back in the day. Um, nice. It was made, I think, with Russ Kunkel. Um, you know, legendary LA session guy. So it has a, in the finishes, it's a classic kind of old, um, what are they, what are they calling a gray oyster pearl? Um, so it sounded like old drums with high fidelity, like clarity to me. Cool. And I mean, you've got a big kit here with the, yeah, it was massive 24 inch bass drum. 10 by 13 tom. is your first tom. Holy hell. <laughs> yeah, 14 and 16 inch floor toms. And a so wait, the, did you say a 24 inch bass drum? Yeah, yeah. So you got a 14 by 24 yep. and a 10 by 13 rack. That puts your rack tom pretty up, pretty Mike Borden style. You got to yeah. climb the ladder to get up on top of that thing. <laughs> I actually had the, you know, I normally had the bass drum kind of off to the right anyway, so I could get the rack tom down to the side of the bass drum rather than okay. on top of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was still, it was comfortable. I mean, I use a twenty four a lot, so it, it kind of felt pretty comfortable. Nice. I just had it in a snare basket, and it worked worked great. Um, yeah. So these are, you know, of all the stuff DW's put out in the fat the past few years, these felt to me like I found something that for my use was really applicable. It gives me that kind of big beefy classic sixties kind of sound, but it has just extra detail on the high end and low end. Okay. That, you know, cause like an old, attack. yeah, the old drums could be kind of mid rangey at times. This was kind of like if you pumped an old kit to a hi-fi PA system and yeah. you know, cranked that, the highs and the lows. And it was kind of scooped in the middle too, in a good way too. So it kind of felt like it was just like record ready right away. Nice. Um, so and what yeah. about the sustain? Not too much sustain? Did it have that kind of vintage just does its job and gets out of the way? Yeah, it kind of just hit and quit and just fell yeah. off You know, evenly. It wasn't like blunt. It wasn't choked or anything. But yeah, it just kind of hit and quit. I mean, I had – it really loved the medium and lower tuning. Once I got it up higher than that, it just kind of became another you know, over-tightened over sounding drum. Yeah, sure. But it loved the medium and lower Um I didn't do any muffling. The bass drum came with the uh, whatever they're calling their their muffling system, not the hourglass, but it had the two the two pieces, the two tubes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yep. But that was it. Um, it's got the two point three millimeter hoops, which are thicker than most. Um, the snare had a three millimeter hoop. Um, the magnetic throw off. Everything and the maglev. Was, yeah, that's super cool. It kind of. Um, I mean. I know it's like we're trying to pontificate on this kit, but this kit just seems like a a pro level meat and potatoes rock kit. Totally. And when I yeah. and I don't mean that in a I mean like it just is gonna do its job. It's and get out of the way. I could also see this being like if you're gonna do like a, a Queens of the Stone Age record, I could see producers loving this stuff. Just like thank you for not having your floor tom go doom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty dark, kind of fat-sounding drums. Again, very reminiscent of what most most of us love about old '60s drums. But I felt, yeah, this could this could withstand, you know, a big production, a big stage with lots of loud guitars. It would cut through. Whereas whenever I take my old drums out, it's like eh, the drums are just they're just dead. They're not giving me enough. 
I think nice. these well, let's give it a listen. Or yep. not. No, you just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> let's check it out. I mean, no hole in the bass drum. I think if if I would have cut a little hole in there and got the microphone inside, it would have been, you know, about as studio perfect as you could get. Yeah, I didn't say like one gel on the snare and yeah. maybe one on the rack tom at the mo- or even a piece of gaff tape. You're kind of done. Yep. Um, that th- that thing sounds great, and and just yeah, I, I just see that I could see Michael Miley using this, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, even though he wouldn't because he's a proud Gretsch artist, but I could see <laughs> that vibe going on. Um, yeah, just modern rock drum set. And like you said, I mean, that's the thing is modern rock right now is vintage rock. I mean, it's, it's yeah. like a throwback. So it has that vibe already. You just want, especially if you're going to be playing, and this is something I went through and probably what kept me away from vintage drums for so long. I mean, I didn't get into any vintage drums really until the last four or five years. But what kept me away from them wasn't the sound. It was the fact that I hit too hard for them to handle the punishment. Yeah, the, they would just blow out. Yeah, you know, choke the out. shells were fine, but you know, um, yeah, I mean, they they just can't do that. Um, and and even the hardware, it's like tension rods are coming loose every time you play it. Yeah, uh, it's not fun to look at your drum rug and see more tension rods than stick shavings. It's like, <laughs> oh man, I guess I hit a little too hard today. So. Having this in a modern drum set is pretty awesome. Speaking of that, I had to do almost zero fine-tuning of this kit from the moment I took it out of the boxes. It just sounded really? good. I just kind of tightened the batter head up a little bit and see what it did and loosened it a little bit. You know, And I think DW's tension rods have – the threads are tighter, they like do. closer together. Yeah. So it took yep. more turns to actually make this drum sound different, but they never backed out. Um, the bass drum didn't slide around at all. You know, every you know, typical what you expect from their. Hardware. I love too, and I mean, I, obviously, most people that are spending this much on a kit will eventually um, change out the heads pretty quick. But I do love that it shipped with coated heads as well. Um, you know, just warm it up even a little bit more. You know, yep, exactly. Yeah, it's so, a great kit. Very so. cool stuff. We'll check it out. So that is the DW Contemporary Classic Drum Set. Uh, you should. Even though you get to hear a little sample of it on here, you should check out the video so you can hear more of it. Just go to moderndrummer.com and you can look it up there in the product close-up, in the most recent product close-up. Um, and I will say, uh, as somebody that was a DW artist for years and years, uh, damn, the insides of those drums, they just they just know what they're doing when it comes to to making you, like, when you change your heads, you go like, hell yeah. yeah. That's what it should look like when I <laughs> change my drum head. Like, they just... It's they are a classy company, no doubt about that. Oh man, I often feel like I'm getting outclassed by the drums. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, yeah, man, I should have worn a nicer shirt for changing my drum heads today. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get into some of your guys's questions. Okay, the first one is from Ian. He says, "How do you break a bad habit?" I have a go-to lick on the hi hat with the left hand. I do it in rock grooves, blues shuffles, etc. I listen back to recordings and it distracts from the pocket. I find myself doing it on autopilot. Any advice? And just have to be more self-aware in the moment. You have to, you have to eradicate that lick out of your playing. You also have to practice not playing it. You know, not just hope that it's going to stop happening on the gig. Uh, it's just like anything that's a habit. You have to practice the opposite of it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, self-awareness because I. I certainly discovered some things that I really don't like about my playing that in the heat of the moment, I kind of let it fly. But if I'm practicing or learning songs or rehearsing and I find myself do that thing, I make a note like, don't do it again. Just don't do it again. Like there's certain things that I've noticed I do. I often end fills 
instead of having it be like a right left on the floor tom to end a fill i'll do a right on the floor tom left on the snare drum which kind of gets okay. me back in the open position that's more comfortable which is cool but having that snare accent on like the last 16th of a measure is not the most musical or appropriate it can be a jarring thing. Yeah. at times and i just kind of yeah. do it because it's just it's a it's a transition back to the comfortable position mm mm-hmm. mhm but when I listen back, I'm like, just stop doing it. Maybe once in a while, but like every time you go down the toms, you do that. No, it's unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, well, there's the difference between doing it for musical purpose and then doing it because it's a habit. And I think that's what he's talking about is, you know, if, if whatever he's talking about in the hi-hat was improving the musical moment, then by all means do it. But if it's just something you do, um, you know, I think the the thing that I think most drummers can relate to is when they get their very first little flutter with the bass drum and they just it's like you know there's no bass player that just drops the heat on two 30 second note um slaps right before the backbeat of two like what is that going with it's like i don't know it's fun i can't stop doing it that's one of those things that i do not allow myself to ever do (laughs) ever Ever. yeah yeah the little bass drum drag into the backbeat is uh yeah. but i mean you know when jerry was a race car driver came out i couldn't stop doing oh yeah I mean, I've, <laughs> I've probably played it a million times but it, it, listening back to myself i'm like and why am i doing that oh and another thing i was going to say about this is if it's distracting from the pocket then you probably aren't playing your lick in time Good so point. if you spend some time really dissecting that lick and figuring out different ways to do it, make sure you're actually using a subdivision that's not in between triplets and sixteenths yeah. or whatever. I mean, there's a reason why someone like Vinny Cayuda, Mark Juliana, Keith Carlock, they can seemingly play anything and sometimes seemingly inappropriately, and it sounds great. It's because they have complete control over what they're doing. So I yeah. think if you really like that lick, make it sound more deliberate. I don't think it'll be this distracting. So yeah, and then you that. can use it in key spots where it actually works rather than it just being a habit. Yeah, it's probably it's probably sloppily executed. That would be my my guess. Sloppily? Sloppily. Word. Sloppily. sloppily? <laughs> All right, next. <laughs> oh, man. I think in general, though, licks on the hi-hat are usually not a good idea. <laughs> uh. All right, next one's from Jesse. Uh, I think we might have answered this in a different at a different point, but um, have either of you ever had tuning issues with drums that have longer tension rods, um, like the the Ludwig Club dates? You know, they have the single point lugs mm, in the yeah, center yeah, yeah. and the really or long, like a CNC. Yeah, they have their player uh, or something. Yeah, so he's saying he's found that his club date is more difficult to tune than his renowns, which have short lug casings. Normal, sure. Um, I would say absolutely. That's why. That's why the club dates were cheaper because there was less hardware, which made it a cheaper kit, and also they were not as not as wow. stable, not as professional sounding okay. for that reason. Um, I'm talking about the old club dates. The new ones, yeah, sure, I have no sure. experience with, but. I don't like those extended lug drums in general. I think they set you up. For, I mean, it, one one cymbal stand falling over, it could, it's going to bend that tension rod out, and then you're screwed. Sure. Um, it's more likely that the lug might pull out because you've got so much tension on it. Um, yeah, and just tuning it, it's just too much. It's too much metal, in my opinion. Yeah. It looks cool, and I think there's some like the CNC stuff. It's well made, and I've played them, and they sound great. But I think beyond that, if you're looking for real stable tuning, that's not the way to go, in my experience. I don't have anything I else concur. to say about it. No, that's it. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've I've obviously just played them in music stores, and and they do look cool. But I agree. There's I can hear it when I hear product demos, or if I hear somebody else playing them. It's there's just this kind of. There's something missing, and so, but but I, as far as the tuning, I'll just let you speak on that. So, all right, next. All right, third one. Uh, oh, by the way, the uh, Ultimate Ears contest is still going on, so make sure you go to the link in the show notes or on bottomdrummer.com and enter. You can enter every day. I think we should be coming up on pulling a winter a winner for that. Soon. Doggies. All right. So our last question is from Bill. Um, he asks, which essential drumming and percussion 
and general music theory lesson books would you recommend for students who wish to collect and expand their personal library? Hmm. How about we each pick one? Okay, so essential drumming slash percussion, what do you got? Uh, essential drumming throws it off. Uh, it, it really depends because I don't know what your skill level is, and I don't know if you're talking about teaching. I, mean, you know, I, I think that everyone that's going to consider teaching, since I'm a teacher, should have a copy of Joel Rothman's Basic Drumming. It just It has mm. one page on everything that you're ever going to need, but that's not what I would suggest uh, – so I'll, I'll say that for the teachers out there. And then uh, one of the books that I think can keep you interested in drumming would be Kim Plainfield's Advanced Concepts uh, because it's just one to two pages on like 30 different concepts. So whatever you're into, you could probably find a page on there and it's Kim's advanced versions of that, which is just sometimes you just need to play something fun out of a book. It doesn't always have to be homework. So my essential drumming slash percussion choice would be the one that I have all my students who are willing to go on this journey work out of, which is the Alfred Drum Method. Um, and I would suggest getting the complete version, which has books one and two. So it's it's basically like snare drum reading from the very beginning up through, I would say, end of high school level. Okay. So it goes into like advanced rudiment stuff by the end of book two, kind of more rudimental contest style. But the beginning is just fundamentals of reading. I love it because it's organized into, you know, you learn quarter notes and quarter note rests. Here's a little quiz at the end that's like an eight bar combination of everything. And then there's a solo, like a, you know, a 32 bar solo that you have to play. That So it just uses one concept over like three pages, two pages. And it goes very gradually all the way up through you know, all the rudiments and everything. So I think that as far as you want to just get your basic reading and chops and there's, you know, you're learning musicality and all that because it's got dynamics and phrasing. I think that's still the classic one. It might be the most uh, successful drum book of all time, quite frankly. Wow. Uh, you know, which it's based, you remember the old Haskell horror books? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like taking those old books and it's a little bit more modern situation, but it's still... You know, pretty pretty standard fare. That would be my essential drumming book. What about a general theory book? Do you have any of those? Ooh. No, I mean, I've, that's why I like Basic Drumming by Joel Rothman so much. There, everything is in there. Um, there's page after page of just rests, just learning yeah. quarter note rests and eight note rests and, and dotted notes and triplets and everything. So it's just kind of all-encompassing. I will say that one that I just started working on myself is a book that when you sent me a huge batch of modern drummer books back in the day, um, at least I think that's where I got it from. Um, but I, it's a uh, Morello's second book, master studies Two. Oh yeah. yeah. And I'm really shocked at how in the first couple pages, how few of those exercises I can play without accents, meaning mm. he has no accents in the paradiddle diddles and the double, double paradiddles. And I, always accentuate the downbeat. And even if I'm playing in triplets, I still play double paradiddles accenting the pair, 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 pair. Mm -hmm. So to have double paradiddles as just digga, 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 it's, it's been tough for me to keep track of time. And I can see how, how much control you have to have in your inner clock to play those patterns, but not be accenting the downbeats. Right. Yeah. That's a good so, one. Yeah. I've been using that a lot lately. I, I, that's like the first book in probably the last couple of years that I'm actually taking with me from the studio to home, from home back. Like if I can, if I have five minutes to be on a pad, I'm working on that book. Yeah, that's the, uh, the Gary Chafee book for me. It's still, okay. I've actually, I think I've learned the quintuplet solo. I did the sextuplet solo a little bit easier. Now I'm stuck on the septuplet solo. <laughs> that would not be my choice. My choice for music theory, uh, actually, Modern Drummer founder Ron Spagnardi wrote a theory book uh, for drummers called Understanding the Language of Music, A nice. Drummer's Guide to Theory and Harmony. It's essentially a fundamentals of like jazz theory, but it's okay. kind of you know taught from a drummer's perspective. I think that's good for just learning the basics of, of music, scales and chords and all that. Um, I think it's still available. I think we still have it in print. If not, we definitely have copies of it available. Uh, that would be kind of like a general music theory book. 
Um, it does have a, it does come with audio, so you can kind of hear the, the chord progressions and all that. Um, yeah, so that'd be my choice for, it's called Understanding the Language of Music by Ryan Spagnardi. What um, I just thought of while you were talking about that is, man, that's crazy that we are on episode 147 and we haven't covered Ron Spignardi. Right. <laughs> How the hell did that slip through the cracks? <laughs> uh, we might want to get on that. Uh, because honestly, I only know him as the um, founder of Modern Drummer Magazine. I don't really know much about him. Um, so I would actually like to cover him in the future so that I can learn more about him. So, for sure. All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much for your questions. Please keep sending those in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We will get to them as much as or as quickly as we can. Uh, and now it is time for our picks of the week. Can and I'm going to actually – what? You got one? That's everything, right? Do I got one? <laughs> Hell yeah, I got one. Yeah. If what I start tea? talking what tea are you right away this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh I I brought the kids some good stuff last night. We all oh, got yeah. yeah, things got a little wacky at band practice. Uh it was some hardcore green stuff. But uh uh it, I'm trying to think what it was. Um I remember I posted it on uh Instagram and I was like like the first thing was uh Joe Arrington. He said, that looks exactly like the tea that just got legalized in California. Like, no, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> it's Goyokuru Imperial Green Tea. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I brought the goods. Uh, this stuff is um, – uh, but it, it like I, – I don't know. I think I just brewed it too long and because we were all I – I even went to the – store and I bought glasses and put everybody's name on the bottoms for tea time and we had a couple cups of tea and it was like are you lightheaded a little I'm like a little lightheaded yeah and then we tried to play I thought we were killing this song and then the, and Dean stops playing he goes is that way slow and I'm like I think it's way fast and so yeah we were out Weird. of whack I, I screwed up my band uh, okay so my pick of the week it's just funny because I already had it and then we had that question but my pick of the week was Master Studies 2 by Joe Morello oh cool uh, you can get it in paperback on Amazon brand new for $14 and even though it's called Master Studies the reading isn't that bad. It's it's pretty easy. It's really it's almost like taking stick control to the next level. It's yeah. keeping yeah. track of that sticking and like I said, I'm just I mean, God, when I play paradiddle diddle, it's it's not I'm lost right now. I don't even know where I'm at. Like I you know, it's like I don't it it's really caught it's really forcing me to keep track of the time myself with all these sticking patterns, but not being able to accentuate the downbeat. So so Master Studies 2 by Joe Morello, $14, brand new on Amazon. So a little bit of a backstory in case anyone doesn't know. Joe Morello was a student of the author of Stick Control. So really? Most of I didn't what, know that. Yeah, so most of what became Master Studies and Master Studies 2 were his modifications of what he was learning out of Stick Control. And actually Accents and Rebounds, which was by George Lawrence Stone, was – mostly Joe Morello's variations of stick control. So, wow. so Joe was kind of like this master prize student of George Lawrence Stone. He would come back every week with like, look what I did with stick control this week. And that kind of influenced what became accents and rebounds. And then Joe, when, as he started teaching, he just amassed these hundreds of variations of these patterns. And that became master studies and master studies too. So it's all Very kind of cool. directly tied. So sick control, accents and rebounds, master studies, master studies two, kind of all coming from the same source. Awesome. All right. Yeah, so we'll my pick out. of the week is a free plugin that I forgot I had. And it wasn't until I just watched a video with um, mixer producer Ulrich Wild, where he was talking about how he mixes drums and he always uses this, this plugin as a parallel compressor. It's called. Uh, it's by a company called Audio Damage, and it's called Rough okay. Rider 2. It's free. It's a free plugin. So you just go to audiodamage.com, and you can go to the free downloads, and there it is. It's a really nice compressor that gives you kind of a little bit of distortion and crunchiness. It has presets that, you know, one's called Drum Bus, and one's called New York Style. Oh, there you go. Nice. So I put those on a you know an aux channel in logic or ableton live and i just kind of send different mixes of the kick drum and overheads and the rooms to it 
and it just makes it sound really nice, really kind of warm and natural. Or you can make it sound really crazy and explosive. Very so cool. That's it. Roughrider2audiodamage.com. They have some other stuff too that's free. Yeah, like I'm on a, their site right now. Really cool stuff. Yeah. So that's a good one. If I saw when I saw that Alberg is using that on like major recordings, I'm like, hey, <laughs> yeah, what? Let me right. Let me bring that thing back out. <laughs> Give that a check. Yeah, I mean, literally, they're at the top of their page, it just says free downloads, and there's the Rough Rider Two and the Fuzz Plus Three free downloads. Very cool. Dude. All right, buddy. Well, uh, next week, little extra energy level. I'm sorry, the 8:30 a.m. thing kicked my butt. <laughs> I was struggling. <laughs> Thanks for pulling me through. Uh, by the way, who's our outro groove? Our outro groove is Ashton. So he says he's playing an inverted paradiddle. Um, what is he doing? Oh, he's using the Shure MV88, uh, which is an iPhone microphone. He's got that in front of the kit, so it's a real kind of simple uh, setup. He's got a Crush Ash kit, uh, Maple Snare, some Minel cymbals, and a Dream Bliss paper thing. Yeah, this is uh, Ashton sending this home. Nice. Later, buddy. See ya.